Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on self Okay, hi, welcome to another episode of Self-Worst. I'm Brad Pearson. My TMJ is getting really bad. I am kind of scared to open my mouth all the way to even talk. can barely chew. It's getting a little out of hand. My jaw just kind of pops out of place sometimes when I open my mouth wrong. Or close it wrong now. This goes both ways. So you probably get that looked at. I'm going to the dentist soon. Hopefully that'll be resolved and won't be really expensive. I don't know. Everything's so expensive now. I'm working all the time and I'm still living like hand to mouth. What's going on? Is anybody else feeling this? Feeling the squeeze of inflation? Thanks, Brandon. Good job. I don't know. Is there anything worse than filling out a job application? Asking for a job you know you don't want, but you're like, I guess this will pay more? Ugh. Depressing. On fire capitalist hellscape we live in. But hey, at least you got this show. You got me, your boy, Brad Pearson. You can also donate uh, patreon.com slash self-worst. You know, since you got so much money, since your life's so figured out with your nice job. Good for you. Give daddy a little. Break daddy off a piece. Little is a dollar a month. You get bonus content, video content, and all that. And, uh, you know, rate and review, subscribe, like, all of that stuff. On all the platforms, uh, put me in the Instagram stories. Reach out, Radical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter, and uh, Self Worst on Instagram. And uh, you know, drop me a line, send me an email. I got some nice responses lately. Actually, uh, people are actually emailing the show. How about that shit? Selfworst at gmail.com. Wow. Anyway, we have an exciting episode coming up. Uh, we're talking to two people at the same time. Double bill. Uh, it's Don Will and Wyatt Snack. And I think you know who both of them are. These are some heavy hitters. High profile guests I got on my show this week. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. Art, movies, cinema, the, the, the communal aspect of art and art consumption a lot of stuff it's an interesting talk with two interesting fellas if you are in the New York City area and you're listening to this today Thursday July 28th as this episode is released go check out Shouting at the Screen it's at the Nighthawk Cinema in Prospect Park well, it's not in Prospect Park, it's by Prospect Park. But that would be cool. Put a movie theater in the park, like inside that. Yeah, tight. I love a movie in the park. But anyway, it's close enough. You know where to find it. It's right off the F and the G. You can get there. Have a whole evening. And if you can't make it to this one, go to the next one. They do it every, uh, I think, quarterly. So, you know, check it out. Sometime they, they show a black exploitation movie and they both have microphones and they heckle the movie and holler at it and uh, it gets rowdy and there's drinking games and uh, it's a fun time. Check it out. But anyway, that's just, I don't know. I got nothing else. I'm just, I'm, I'm in a weird headspace right now. Just mentally. Had a long day. Did a bunch of interviews today. We we're banking some episodes. Productive. But now I'm having an 8 p.m. coffee and feeling weird. So why don't we just go to the episode? And I'm not going to ramble about anything else. I just go to the talk with White Snack and Don Will. 
thank you so much, guys, for uh, for joining us. Uh, how you doing? How was your heat wave experience? Uh, it was it was an okay heat wave. Yeah, uh, I grew up in Texas, so there's an right. aspect of it that feels kind of like oh, I know what this. I I've had summers like this before, um, but that's also why I left Texas. <laughs> it followed you. Yeah. I, I spent the heat wave in my mom's basement, so it was honestly pretty cold because she keeps the air cranked up. <laughs> That's the best way to do it. I, I don't yeah, know. I, was, I got some friends who, like, they're trying to do the, like, oh, no AC thing. We're not going to do a, an air conditioner because we're saving electricity or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know how you're checking in with them every week. Like, how's that going for you, bro? Because uh, this does not yeah. sound pleasant. Let's also not, uh, let's not gloss over the fact that uh, Don is a normal human being. Anyone who says they're hanging out in their mom's basement <laughs> might be a sign that like, oh, maybe we should check in on this person. We should have the authorities or somebody just run by there and make sure that there's no one else in that basement or right he just you know he's starting to say things like hey have you heard of this uh the great reset have you uh there's <laughs> this guy is starting to make some really good points on reddit i don't know if you've checked out this podcast or whatever but you know yeah. it's, it's just just keep an open mind and just listen to yeah, this we, you know we haven't spoken in a while but i want to use this opportunity to launch my new platform <laughs> oh no. no no this is where he starts talking about his new 12 chan oh no <laughs> you thought 8 chan was was too many chans. Oh, if you're tired of cancel culture, come to 12 chan. Yeah. We, uh, my couple of my friends, uh, got married this weekend uh, to each other, not uh, two separate weddings. But uh, God bless them. But they had a uh, they had it out at the Rockaways because um, they couldn't have predicted the weather and everything. And it was yeah. fun. It was really nice. But we were like trying to like yeah party and everything. But everybody just gathered under the umbrellas and everything. It was it was just everybody huddled in the shade <laughs> the entire time. Just like oh, I'm I'm too hot. I can't I can't drink another beer. This is uh, sucks. Um, but it was you know we got through it. It's just it's just the planet trying to take the planet back from us there were sharks in the water trying to eat us it was it's getting hostile out there i don't know this sounds like a reality show almost <laughs> like you got you got a shark filled moat heat yeah you're like under a heat again. lamp and the sand is burning your feet you try and go in the water and a shark eats you it's yeah it's really if i if i could just i've i you know i was saying don as a person in his mom's basement might be going on the internet reading conspiracy theories if i could just uh you know, some research I've been doing. Mm -hmm. uh, we give sharks a bad rap. Uh, true. It's great whites that are the ones that are going around eating people. These little ones that were nibbling, they just think people are seals. That was just pure confusion on their part. And they couldn't, they couldn't rip into us. They yeah. just, uh, they can just puncture some skin, but they, it's not, I feel like people like sharks and they think great whites. Yeah. No, these well, it's are like bears, and people think you know grizzlies, like the ones that will like eviscerate you. You see one of those, you're dead. But you know, most like a black bear, they're just kind of they're just like a big dog. We you, just I, I blame Jaws for all of this. The mm -hmm. shark sharkaganda, sharkaganda, yeah. yeah. and sharknado. I mean, like that was really the last uh, nail in the coffin. Um, so speaking of movies, uh, you guys are doing a film screening this. A week, uh, Thursday, uh, the twenty eighth, at Nighthawk Cinemas, uh, Park Slope. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the uh, the the thing you do, Shar uh, yelling at the screen, or shouting Sharking at the screen. At the I'm sorry, screen. yeah, Sharking, Sharking at the at screen. The screen. <laughs> yeah, so uh, for over a decade now, I guess Don and I have been hosting a movie night called Shouting at the Screen, where we show. Uh, black exploitation movie from the 70s and we are on microphones and we usually invite a friend along and we just kind of like uh lovingly uh poke fun at some of the weirdness of the movies um these are you know it's a black exploitation there are over 200 movies that are considered part of that genre and they're movies that always you know they didn't always have the best budgets they didn't always have the best special effects or couldn't afford the you know the most expensive hollywood screenwriters or dps or 
gaffers or any of that stuff. And so a lot of times that, that shows up on screen, but what also shows up on screen is people who often were shut out by the mainstream Hollywood system finding a way to tell their own stories, uh, whether they are, you know, ridiculous stories or more serious ones. Right. Yeah, the 70s were a whole vibe in cinema. I just feel like in the credits for every movie made from 1970 to 1979, top billing should be cocaine. It should just be <laughs> that should that's the number one cuz shit was crazy in in movies back then and it was just I don't know, not to sound like an old man, but like movies just aren't that funky and interesting anymore. Um, and it's just a different, it was just a different time where like anybody could grab a 16 millimeter camera and some of their friends and an eight ball and just go shoot some shit and, <laughs> uh, and just get real, just get real rowdy. And it was just more fun. It's almost like movies now, movies been were the, like the, the ideas were bigger than the technology could account for so like they were trying to do things that you just physically couldn't do at mm -hmm. the time and now that we have like all this technology to make things look look like cgi cgi monkeys and, and animals and you can make like a i, I just i just saw a, a movie yesterday that happened <laughs> i was gonna but, say that's a very specific cgi very monkeys specific, cgi yeah. monkeys yeah it's very specific planet of the apes planet the, yeah which what, what movie is this um, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil anything for any of the listeners out there. So I don't want to, because it's, it's it's a pivotal plot point in the film. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, you're not but expecting that. It's a movie that's yeah. out in theaters right now that has CGI monkeys that are unexpected. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. That's that's no, gonna get more people out to the movies. Honestly, what it is. I don't no, want to know. Actually, I want a surprise anything. monkey. <laughs> um, but what I say? The, nope. The, <laughs> nothing. I mean, say nothing. Don't. Tell us what this movie is. Nope, nope, nope. Don't want to hear <laughs> what it might be. Nope, not at all. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, case in point, I don't know if you saw the new Dune movie, um, but it's good. It's well made. It's pretty. Everybody in it's very beautiful. And, you know, it's very faithful to the book. Um, but not gonna lie, I like the David Lynch one a little bit more because it's bad, but at least it's going for something and it's creepy and it's it sticks with you. I don't think I've seen it for like 15 years and I still remember it more than the one that just came out, you know? So like, there's something about an era of cinema where things were just kind of People were trying things and often failing at them, but the attempt, I think, is really what's more beautiful than, than the yeah. execution. Yeah. No, I think that's what that's that's what's fun about that era. I think things also there was so much that was, you know, practical as far as what you were doing effects wise. And also as an industry, it wasn't, you know, the GDP of the <laughs> Hollywood at the time, like, it wasn't like the GDP of like a, a many like European nations, which it is now. And so I think there is there's an aspect of it that feels like, oh, you're making a movie. And that's cool, but it's not like this thing has to make a billion dollars. This thing has to be, you know, you need permits, you need. Yeah. to go through all the all the hoops and steps that people go through today uh to make a movie and the expectations of like oh hollywood as this industry you know i think in the 70s it was like oh you know people are making movies but there weren't like entire you know like company like huge corporations that felt like we should invest everything into this that this is now sort of become one of the tentpole industries in our country it it was just like a thing that weirdos did and yeah. and so I, I don't know there's a part of that that you know it, it feels like yeah i don't know how much money hollywood makes and, and maybe it's not the same as the gdp of a european country but probably 
an island somewhere maybe yeah um but uh but just looking at that it, it feels like oh there's so there was so much less pressure in that way that this has to be great this has to be something that like we're going to before it even before frame one even gets filmed this is going to go through so many filters of like well how's this going to play for merchandising and how's this going to play for this and that and mm -hmm. all that stuff and you could just and and that feels like a very different thing where it allows for a certain freedom of expression that i don't know exists as much today yeah and it just feels more real you know you see people's like bad skin and sweat and there you see there's a sort of time capsule aspect of you see 70s new york you see 70s la in the background and it looks all crusty and fucked up and it's just yeah. it, it's a bygone era that you get a more uh sincere you know you know uh, lens into yeah, to that point, uh, background specifically, one of the things I love the most about black exploitation films is that a lot of times they weren't filming on closed sets. So you'll get, if you look beyond what's the action happening, you'll see people literally like, holy shit, they're filming a movie. Yeah. Like, and most of the films, like, it's one of my favorite things to do because I love looking at, like, the city as a character and, like, the the, the things surrounding the action. And it's just like, oh, just uh, just beyond the frame, the people are like, as we're they're as enchanted as you are in the theater watching this thing happen. Right. Yeah. yeah uh, there's a um, kind of a communal aspect too to to showing a movie in this way and talking over it um, that I think just heightens the the movie going experience um, that I think is really cool that you're you're playing with like uh, like I don't know people especially since the pandemic I think want more out of the movie going experience um I, you've done a couple of these you know since the lockdown ended um have you found that the um the audience's tone is different that people are more excited or less excited or whatever to to be out there doing this stuff i mean i think people were excited to to come post pandemic i i feel like they were excited pre-pandemic as well i hope they were uh <laughs> But I, it does feel like since we've started back, <clears throat> since we started back up, that the audience, I think in general, just missed the experience of movie going and missed mm -hmm. that kind of fun communal thing. And maybe because now we're a little more, you know, we're we're a little more cautious in the things we do. We're not going out to you know maybe there are some people going out to concerts every night but i feel like for a lot of people if you're gonna choose to do something you're being a little more deliberate in your choices and so it, it does feel in that way that there was an excitement that was a little different where people were kind of like yeah yeah we're we're here for this and with the last show we did we had some technical difficulties and they lasted for a while and that might have been enough for some people to say, fuck it, we're going to the bar. But everybody stuck around and everybody took part as we all just kind of rode through the technical difficulties together. And so in that way, it, it, it does feel like there's some, you know, it, it was a, I don't know if that would have happened, uh, you know, before the pandemic. I'd like to think it would because Don and I are uniquely charming, but... <laughs> We know uh, how to manage a hostage situation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Not from not from actual experience. We just were not allowed to yeah, just for legal reasons we have to sure. that I was I, for legal reasons I was not in my mom's basement training to be a better hostage situation manager. Legally. Smart. Good good to know. That's a good. that's an important disclaimer. A comedy podcast allegedly, all of that stuff. Uh yeah. satire, you know, all of that. Yeah. Um but there's something nope. we were not hostage negotiators. Nope. <laughs> nope. 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 Uh underline. Um there's something about uh kind of you know, making fun of a movie as it's going on that's you know, it's a, <laughs> there's a long tradition of it. There's MST three K, there's there's a bunch of other uh, 
groups that do something, you know, some sort of similar MST3K is sort of the main one. But uh, this, again, is sort of the aspect of watching a movie with other people and bringing having a communal experience around a movie uh, is sort of one of the most beautiful to me, you know, human things about seeing a movie. Like, I'll never forget there was this time uh, in my hometown, the, the Repertory Theater uh, did a screening of Metropolis, Fritz Lang, Metropolis. And, um, you know, it was, the audience was mostly like kind of hoity-toity white liberal boomers, and that's fine. But there was this older couple that was, you know, they were just having a good time. They were just laughing and, you know, just like kind of giggling along because, you know, it's a silent movie. The acting's over the top. Like it's, and they were just enjoying the movie, right? And then afterward, this lady started accosting them and and be, like was angry that they were laughing and she's like, "You shouldn't have been laughing at that movie." We we're, were all that was very disruptive, and they weren't being disruptive; they were just giggling. And I never do this, but I like jumped in to their defense, and I was just like, "Lady, calm down! Like, what? They're laughing at a movie. This is not. I don't know why people need to." feel the need to take this sort of thing so seriously if you want to see a movie and have it not disrupted at all just go watch it in your in your living room if you hate people so much right right yeah that's i mean there there's truth to that and i think what is fun about something like this is we're all seeing the same thing at the same time mm -hmm. and so you know, if something's funny, we all collectively laugh. If something's scary, we collectively gasp. But if something we don't buy it, then yeah, there's it's worth being able to make those, you know, to collectively have that experience too. I remember years ago seeing the movie Hancock in in theaters and uh, I was that Will Smith, Angelina Jolie movie where they're it's ostensibly the Hawkman Hawk Girl story where they're like two Egyptian gods who uh, or superhero alien type people um, that were presumed to be gods. And the movie, I remember it starts out and you see Will Smith as like Hancock and he's drunk and he's just kind of being like a drunk like guy who can fly. And in the in the row in front of me were these three little kids and they were cheering for all of the superhero stuff and then there's a moment in the movie where everything shifts and these three kids immediately were just like what and then sat down and never like they were never <laughs> the same again but them doing that audible what we were all feeling it mm -hmm. and it was this kind of like someone letting the air out of a, a balloon of tension that happened that these kids just happened like they said the thing we were all feeling yeah and it it just throughout the the house like people laughed and there was this just like yeah those kids know what the fuck they're talking about yeah. like, right <laughs> right yeah it's it's like when you know you're on the train and there's a delay or something and then there's one person who's like god damn it and you just feel you just feel a little bit better you just know that like other people are experiencing the same thing there's a there's a sympathetic response that yeah. happens um so uh Wyatt you're a comedian Don Will you're you're a musician you you work uh, mostly in rap and hip hop uh there is a big sort of confluence between the two, and I'm not the first person to make this observation, of course, but I think there's a big overlap between especially hip hop and comedy uh, that I think is really interesting. Um, you know, like it, case in point, every every single hip hop album in the 90s that has a sketch um, it, and they're being funny and they're being cute. And, you know, there was that sort of reactionary moral panic around gangster rap and, and and a lot of that stuff in the 90s uh that i think the thing people missed was that a lot of this stuff is supposed to be funny like they're 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 being goofy like biggie's funny eminem's funny lil kim's funny and it's a thing that i think people miss so i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about 
uh, what that overlap means to you? Uh, well, like a lot of a lot of the artists you mentioned, like case in point, you said they were funny. They they actually like if you just take the lyrics and read them on paper or listen to them without the backbeat to them, without the, the you know the rhythm where it's just like a line after a line. It's pretty much the same rhythm as like I won't say the same rhythm as stand up, but it, it has like there are jokes in it. You know, mm-hmm. like there are literal jokes and punchlines and like humor has always been a part of of rap and hip hop because it's a thing that helps you relate to the speaker in a way. It makes you feel, you know, it, it kind of breaks your walls down and pulls the barriers down a little bit. So um, especially something I do specifically in my music is, you know, I, I do try to imbue a sense of humor, but it's it's mainly used because I'm one of those people who I'm a really heady person. You know what I'm saying? Why well, I can tell you this, I'm a philosopher. Mm-hmm. A, I don't um, know if I could tell you that. I'm I mean, ba- basically, basically a, a modern day philosopher, you know, I'm a modern day philosopher who specializes in science. And this is where I want to launch my new platform. It's called no, no shouting at the screen. In. Let's nope. let's not get into your 12 chan. I knew <laughs> that you were going to loop this back around. All right. This, this no. the 12 chan. It's the 12 step program. No, seriously. But um, I think that one of the other things that that I learned the most from being around comedy and like hanging out with Wyatt in specific is just knowing what to knowing about like audiences and knowing how to interact with live with people in a live environment, you know, because there's um when you're when you're doing music and you have and you have like songs, you can't really tell when people are listening to you. You can you can only tell when they're responding to you. And it's just this thing where you're like, oh okay, they're actually just listening. They're not they're not wallflowers or just shutting down. They're they're just paying attention to what you're doing, you know. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest interplays between comedy and music is just that, you know, at the end of the day, there's a person receiving the thing. Hmm. Yeah. Profound. That was profound. <laughs> I, I expected applause or something, but I'll uh, I'll, take I'll patch them in later. Okay, cool, yeah. cool, cool. No, that, um, yeah. It's yeah. Well, and I think too, there's it's the comedy that plays out in hip hop it you know in a live situation it is it hits more in in the music than like if a if a stand up or i mean if a if a if an artist in the middle of their set like if ti all of a sudden was like i know you want to hear a song but right now i'm going to do 15 minutes of stand up right uh I don't know that it's going to play super well, um, but within the context of the music, there is like this rhythm that you have where if there's a joke in the song, it almost becomes part of the dance of the of of the of the song itself that like you're seeing, you know, people kind of like moving to the beat, but in those moments where there are those lines that are, you know, those kind of funny moments you see people check in with each other you see them kind of like move together in these ways and it's almost like laughing but in a more like rhythmic and dancing right. kind of a way and so yeah that uh and i feel like that's the expectation in that in in that world versus yeah like i said if somebody just stopped and did like 15 minutes of right. uh of their of their best stand up i think also part of that is because there's and I only I can only say this from my own experience of having like opened a few times for music acts. I uh, there are a lot of people who've come to a music show and they've maybe taken something that they hope is going to kick in mm-hmm. at the right time, and it may be kicking in as the show starts, and they weren't they weren't hoping it would kick in to hear the you know monotonous thought jokes of me right they they wanted music and so they're kind of like what uh and so i feel like that like yeah whatever is opening them up it's opening them up for like a rhythmic comedic experience and not uh my not like my weird observational comedy when you open for uh for a a musician do you ever see them try and 
uh, I don't know, compete for jokes like during their set? Do they ever try and do the thing where they're like, okay, well, let me do some stage banter and try and work it into, you know, white people be driving like this and <laughs> try something like that? No, I feel like I'm, I I feel like there there are people who are really good at stage banter and mm -hmm. I think, you know, they find a way to kind of both keep the show moving and and I and also have like some funny moments. I feel like Jean Grey is one of those people who's like yeah. really good at, like yeah. at her I mean, stage she is banter. kind of both. She she does a little bit of both. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um but then I feel like there are other artists that you know when they start they just start and the show is the show and so yeah i yeah years ago i opened for the roots uh at uh, the house of blues in la and yeah there was no like i think it was like me and it was me and donald glover mm -hmm. were both doing stand-up sets and then the roots were gonna perform and yeah i think they were just kind of like yeah, thanks for killing some time for us while we ate. And right. now now we're we just needed we you know, our food came late. We just needed uh 45 minutes to to eat and digest. And then it was like, what we're about to do, there's no jokes. You're right. here. You're, you know, that brownie kicked in and you're just here for a ride. I mean, personally, I love it when a comedian opens for a band because it's it kind of again calls back to like 70s variety show kind of yeah. stuff that as a baby of the 80s I didn't really ever get to experience a whole lot of that stuff and and I want more of that because I you know like as sort of a a person who's interested in a lot of different art forms um I like to see a lot of them kind of mashed together and I like to see uh how audiences respond to both and and also who picks who to go on tour with them, I think is interesting. Like I just saw St. Vincent and Ali Makovsky open for her, which I wasn't even expecting. I didn't know that was going to happen. She just walked out on stage. And I was like, oh, her. Um, and, you know, like Eve Six just toured with Jake Flores. And, you know, like it, it's it's interesting, the the pairing. And um, I, I kind of wish more people would do it, honestly. But um, how do you feel about... Um, uh, like hip hop tracks or, or, or uh, skit tracks in um, on hip hop albums. Do you think they're funny? Do you usually skip them? It depends on the. It, de it depends on it. Like I honestly, I like them when they're either broken apart from the sequence or at the end of the sequence. Mm -hmm. uh, like at the end of the song. Like when it's when it's like you have to sit through forty five minutes of a thing that happens. Forty five seconds of a thing that happens before a song. It's just like okay. I gotta yeah. now. I gotta deal with this because there are, there are a couple albums that are like that. That I won't say it renders the album unlistenable, but you just have to be in the mood for a commercial break. It's kind of like when when you're listening to Spotify Free and it's just like, and now I add. Like I didn't want I didn't ask for this, but in general, I do enjoy skits because you know I've made a bunch of sketches and skits because I've made a bunch of them mm -hmm. uh, for our albums and stuff. Um, yeah, and there's some they they offer iconic moments like the Wu Tang. I fucking I fucking yeah, feed, torture you motherfucker. Feed. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's so funny. Um, we should wrap up soon, but I was wondering if I could uh, do like one or two more questions for you. Um, sure. So, what I would like to know, uh, why it specifically um, is. You know, you've worked on a lot of stuff that you know, the Daily Show and problem areas that address kind of, uh, you know, social political issues. And um, is what I would like to know is kind of your thoughts on uh, comedy and uh, politics, comedy and sociology um, and how those two things kind of intersect. And, and do you think that people can really change hearts and minds with with jokes? Ooh. Uh, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that if people can change hearts and minds with jokes. I, I feel like if you're going in thinking you're going to do that, you may find yourself very frustrated. Uh, I think you can use, to me, I've it's always felt like you can use that stuff to do one of two things. 
you can use it to try to amplify a story and then make it something that people are more aware of. And hopefully that awareness then creates a groundswell uh, or inspires someone to create a groundswell that causes change. But I don't know that a joke uh, is going to do that. It, it feels like it can either highlight something or it can do sort of the opposite thing where it provides a weird catharsis for people that they feel like, oh, okay, this comedian, like they said the thing I was thinking, all right, I can go to sleep now and I don't have to carry that anymore. And it feels like that's the sort of dangerous, the the sort of dangerous thing. I don't know that it ever changes hearts and minds, but I, I feel like, you know, just even in my experience with The Daily Show, oftentimes it felt like we were giving people a pass to be complacent because they were like, oh yeah, I'm mad at the world. All right, now it's 11, 1130 and that guy's saying something that resonates with like my same anger with the world and okay he said it in a funny way i laughed at it and the world's not so weird we both agree that fox news is terrible and neither of us should do anything about it we'll just go to sleep and yeah. and, it, and it felt like <clears throat> there was the danger of of doing of of sometimes people relying on comedy as a change as like the change agent but the only change it was doing was just like changing them from frustrated to feeling seen and then they go to bed yeah. um <clears throat> and then yeah like i said the other the other side of it it feels like is yeah the comedian who tells a joke that perhaps makes you more aware of something uh mm -hmm. and amplifies kind of the work that other people are actually doing and i feel like yeah, there are those stand-ups where, you know, even if it's something like, you know, uh, a comedian like Hannah Gadsby talking yeah. about Asperger's or, you know, that or, her, you know, uh, that like, it's like, oh, okay, you're, you're creating more visibility yeah. for, for something like Asperger's or, yeah, a comedian like Hari Kondabolu talking about you know, social issues and talking about what it's like as a South Asian person living in the United States. I think there's a visibility that's happening, but I don't know that like it's that visibility, that visibility is the thing. It's, it's not, I, I think as much as I'm sure there's a comedian out there that would hope that they could write the perfect joke that, you know, solves <clears throat> Right. World, they can like, you know, all convert everybody's uh, blue line flag uncle to, you know, yeah. re rethink their shit. <laughs> no, probably not. Yeah. That it's, yeah, that there's like the infinity gauntlet of jokes that if you could tell, <laughs> you could just, uh, you know, change the world. I'm sure there is that person, but. Well, we need them soon. Fuck. <laughs> that is why I'm here to launch my new platform. No, 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 no. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they're like, they're charismatic politicians. Barack Obama was one of the mm -hmm. most, you know, charismatic orators that we've seen, uh, you know, in the presidency in a long time and said a lot of, you know, passionate, moving things. Didn't, you know, <laughs> he sure he sure said stuff. He sure yeah. said stuff. Yeah, I don't stuff. know. It's it's frustrating because, like, as somebody who's been involved with you know politics and activism, so, you know, like since I was like in high school, not to brag, but uh, it's it's just I stopped wondering a while ago like what people's last straw was going to be, and it kind of felt like it uh, during like you know summer twenty twenty with the 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 George Floyd uh, uh, protests, but. It, again just felt like what happens like they painted black lives matter on a street and hulu has a channel for black you know tv shows now uh, like they have a tab on their app and nancy pelosi put on a kenta cloth and kneeled and 
that's it that's it that's all we're not gonna let up yeah. like it's bad yeah well i think you know it's it's change trying to change something is it's basically one person pushing against you know hundreds and thousands of people sort of resisting and maybe you get a few of them to kind of like come and help push with you but you really you know it's very much pushing a boulder up a hill mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and so i think in those ways to expect that to expect a comedy could do that is you know that's really then you're saying okay so this one person who can turn a phrase in a in a cute way that could counteract the hundreds of millions of dollars that people put towards lobbying yeah. for the status quo that you know that can turn the tide against all of the sort of systemic kind of like uh roadblocks and impediments that legislators have continually put in yeah. uh to to kind of like slow change to a grinding halt that like that's a lot for that's a lot for a fart joke to do <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so I, I think in that way i think it's you know i'm not saying it can't happen and boy i would love you know i would love to see when that person finds that infinity gauntlet of fart jokes uh you know, and I hope it's someone who's, uh, I hope it's a good comic and not like some hacky comic, but, <laughs> uh, but either, you know, either way, like, uh, but it, it, yeah, it just feels like that's, that's us allowing ourselves to kind of like delude, delude ourselves in this idea that like, oh no, change is fucking exhausting. And mm -hmm. it, takes a lot and if you really want to change something uh strap in because it's gonna it's gonna fucking suck and it's gonna be a lot of work and it's gonna drain you emotionally financially physically uh and you can accept that reality or uh this guy could just tell you a few jokes about how mitch mcconnell looks like a turtle and you can go to sleep. He does look like yeah. a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got no chin. Um, One more note about change. The other thing about change is that you might not be around to see the effects of the, the, the thing you're fighting so true. hard about. So you've got to kind of be comfortable knowing that you're working to make the world better for other people and not specifically. It can't be rooted in self motive. I mean, it has to start in like you wanting to change the thing, but you have to want to change it for everyone and not just for yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. Uh, well, we should wrap up. Um, but uh, this was great, guys. Um, I was wondering if you could uh, just as your uh, parting shot, uh, you know, tell us about just uh, some tools you have for, uh, you know, maintaining emotional, uh, mental well-being um, and, and, and all of that stuff. Because like you said, it's exhausting and it can be draining and frustrating. So uh, what have you found uh, that that sort of keeps you chugging along? Well, normally I would use this opportunity to promote my 12-step program that I'm launching oh. that I'll talk about. If you find me on Twitter, Instagram, we can talk about it. Just hashtag 12 mm -hmm. steps. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I do to kind of just keep a handle on things and keep myself grounded and going is just take moments for myself throughout the day to just disconnect you know like like disconnect from like social media or just problems and stuff and just kind of go and be still you know like sitting apart uh if i'm on my couch i'll like turn things off and just kind of like listen to the building it's it's not really meditation but it's meditative in a way for me to just kind of realize where i am in my in my body you know that and the twelve step program, but sure. no, don't don't bring up it. It's it's not. I'm government agencies are now going to be tracking you. It's just. It. I mean, if you look into what the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is doing, he makes some points. Oh no! Wow, this points. is really. Oh no! This is this is now we're uh, guys. This, there's this a, podcast has changed. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I'm saying pandemic. Yeah. Just uh, just research it. Just uh, sure. Just yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I I I think what Don was saying makes a lot of sense. I, I think, yeah. For me, there's a part of it of where I feel like, oh, okay, what are things I could do that just stoke my curiosity in different ways, ways to kind of get out in the world and do things that I wouldn't have thought about doing, I, you know, or I wouldn't have thought I could do and just kind of put me in places like this summer. I'd always been curious about surfing. And I was like, mm. we're not far from a beach. I could go take a surfing lesson. And I never think about like going to the beach or doing that. And it was just like, oh, this is cool. And it's just me getting on a train for an hour and heading to Rockaway Beach and then get in the ocean. And the ocean reminds me that it is a giant thing that will swallow you whole. And, yeah. uh, but also there's these moments of just like peacefulness of being on the water and not, you know, everything else kind of like slips away for a bit. And then you get back on the train and you come home and it was like, oh, wow, that was like three hours where I didn't have a phone. I didn't have, yeah. you know, anything else other than the ocean. And that's kind of nice. And it's kind of nice to kind of like step away and take that moment and, whether it's that or just yeah meditation is great or just taking a walk and mm. i feel like you know i don't know there's i like this morning i got up and i decided i was gonna go get a breakfast sandwich from this spot nearby me and i walked over and it wasn't open yet and so then i just walked up to a park and sat in a park for a little bit and watched dogs kind of walk by and it's like Oh yeah, these things are kind of nice. And it was like, don't check the phone, just do that. And I went back and I got my egg sandwich and, yeah, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, that was unexpected, but a nice way to spend my morning. There's nothing like running early and, and just like having a, having a minute to just sort of like sit there in the lobby and just like, <sighs> you know, it's, and yeah. it's, yeah. it is so easy to forget that New York is a coastal town. Um, yeah. and you can just take the train out to the ocean, the ocean, yeah. which is like a big ass body of water. And there's, <laughs> yeah. you know, like just watching the waves lap and realizing that it's been doing that since before the internet, before electricity before white people came to America, before there were people on this continent, when there were dinosaurs, like just, it goes way back and it feels like you're connecting with something that's ancient and enormous yeah. and huge, you know? And it just, yeah. it really, it, it, it's it's healing. It, it's healing in a way that's hard to describe. Yeah, no, it's been really cool. So yeah, I feel like that. And then, you know, the other thing I'll do is I'll, uh, I'll stare at my NFTs. <laughs> and just like really look at them and I find like a real sense of peace and tranquility knowing that like these things are only going to, you know, grow in value. And true. That, you know, this this whole Bitcoin crypto market, it, it I was right to get oh, in man. late. Get in late, yeah, exactly. I, sometimes I stare at mine and I wish I could touch them. Yeah. You know? Oh God. And I'm like, man, when the person invents the technology to make you be able to touch the digital art. Well, and then sometimes I'll look and I'll look at my NFT and then I'll see, I'll actually see someone has printed it out and then they have it on their wall. And I'm like, isn't this great? Like they actually have a physical copy of my thing and I don't see a dime off of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I just have it on this computer that I hope I never accidentally drop in a bathtub. <laughs> All right, well, we should wrap up. Uh, Don Will, Wyatt Sinak, this was really great. Uh, let's plug the show one more time. Uh, it's called Shouting at the Screen. Shouting at the Screen. Uh, at and, and it's, it's at Nighthawk this Thursday. Uh, so if you're in the New York City area, uh, come check that out. Yeah. And stay off 12chan. Stay off 12chan nope. and watch out for sharks and digital apes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you once again to Wyatt Sinak and Donwell for being on the show. 
What an honor. Talk to two cool-ass dudes that people know about. They've been on, like, NPR and WNYC and shit. Been on TV. And now they're doing my rinky-dink little show. I'm honored. I really am. It's so cool to get to talk to all these uh, just fucking cool, funny people. It's a thing that I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for all you for listening. Hey, here's your homework. Name a couple of things you're grateful for. Do it right now, out loud. No matter where you are, just say it out loud, out of context. Just blurt it out. It's cool. People look at, I don't, people let them look. Cares. Stare right back at them. Anyway, that's all. I did all the shopkeeping at the top of the episode, didn't I? Follow me on social media. I'll do it again. Fuck it. Patreon.com slash selfworst. You know, give me a little bit of money. Help me out. Help me uh, pay for probably an expensive jaw surgery I'm going to have to have because teeth are not part of the body, according to most insurance. That's a bonus body part. You got to pay for that yourself. Anyway, um, follow me, uh, Radical Pearson, Instagram and Twitter. Follow the show at SelfWorst on Instagram and email the show SelfWorst at Gmail. That's it. Like and subscribe. Put us in your stories. Tag us. Tell a friend. Tell tell your your most annoying, sad, anxious friend. Can't get their shit together. This is the show for them. He's just always fucking things up, getting fired, borrowing money, getting dumped. Just, just shoes falling apart, life falling apart. Those are my people. Send them my way. I'll fix them right up. All right. Music is by Shea Bartel. Thank you, Shea. And that's it. I'm Radical Pearson. Radical Pearson? Nope, I'm Brad Pearson. <laughs> I'm not gonna fix that. I'm I'm going to bed now. Um good night.